This is One Recovery, Many Paths, How to Integrate Nature-Based Traditions into Your Treatment Plan. Today, Renee is going to take you on a journey through evidence-based nature practices and eco-psychology. Barabo is a Nautilus Award-winning, best-selling author and wind whistler using nature as her guide to assist individuals towards transformation, awakening, and true purpose. She is the Branding and Outreach Manager for Renewal Health Group and Monterre Behavioral Health, the founder and creator of Finding Freedom LGBTQ Symposium, and the new emerging themes in behavioral health. And it is my pleasure to introduce Renee. Thank you so Thank much. You. Wow. Like I've been tearing up for the last half an hour because I don't know about you, but this last few years have been pretty windy. And so to be standing here in front of people again after such a long hiatus of you know, teaching online and you know, a lot of people went in during COVID and a lot of great things came out from going in during COVID. But for those of us who are healers and who'd been preparing for this time of transition, it was the busiest few years in my whole life. It was like all of a sudden everyone else is going in and I got called into action where all of the tools that I'd ever learned about social media and online web and all of that came into being. First thing that I did was taught other um, addiction treatment specialists and behavioral health people how to use Zoom, how to reach the people who are gonna need them more than ever because it was just a really rough time. Well, I never know where I'm gonna jump into a conversation, but that was a real surprise. Uh, I'm Renee, and I'm known as the practical shaman. And that's because there's this two paths in my life. There's the one that Spirit said, when you're, when you're called into healing work, you put down the marketing and you put down the other stuff. And then there's the path of that I've always been a marketer. Since, since I was on the train going to the Bronx Zoo in 10, I would, I would be selling something. I mean, I sold Girl Scout cookies door to door, you know, 100 boxes at a time so I could go to summer camp. And that's just how, that's just how I lived. But this, the healing part of me was a little bit harder because that's the part of me that gets called into service even when it's not convenient. And even when you know, you're kind of a little envious that everyone else is getting to called in to rest and you're all of a sudden taking care of 100 people who are in apprenticeship with you and everyone else around you. And that's the work of service. And um, if, if, how many of you are in recovery in this room? So if you, and it doesn't matter if you're in recovery or not, but the, the point is, is there's a part in the recovery, and we'll talk about it later in this slide presentation, that the inside work you do turns out. And then this, this whole talk is about, you know, it's called nature-based practices. But the truth is, my next talk is that we are nature. There's no nature-based practices. We are nature. 16,000 years ago, we went inside. And over the last 16,000, 17,000 years, we forgot we were nature. 
And now we have this internet that pretends to connect us. Like we think that we're so connected because we can talk to people in Spain and France and Europe at, you know, at any time of the moment, but it's, it's kind of a false facade. And how we know it's a false facade is some of the talk that I'm gonna to cover today and some of the things that we can do to start to take small incremental steps to help other people find their way back to this deep understanding. And it's really simple. I do it through the wind. And just so you know, if you wanna run out the door now, you can hear my wind whistle and we'll just, uh, the, the wind that I, I, I have a, my, my editor at Hay House was very smart. She wanted me to have the back almost like a, um, like a, what do you call those? Like that you could just flip open to any page at any time and get some windy information. Like, I can't think of the word, but in any case, so when you flip open, you can flip to a wind. And the wind that I flipped open to before you all arrived was a Tyromatea, which is the um, tempest wind from uh, the Polynesian, like New Zealand area. And it's really funny that that wind would come out. And I'm gonna blow, I'm gonna invite that tempest wind in here because it's gonna motivate us to some change and maybe that's making change with our clients or making change as we need to. But each wind, and so I wanna, I wanna just say that each wind that I found, I found over 150 winds that I named are cultural winds. And I believe that the wind was here first and that the wind was here at the beginning of all creation and then the wind messages which we are failing to heed a lot of times because we weren't listening, not that they weren't talking but we weren't listening, went to the various places on the earth where the people needed their messages. So this tempest wind in, in New Zealand is about um, you know, the sailors needed to navigate the, the rough waters. And so they needed a stronger wind to move across and navigate wide open seas. Whereas in another, in another culture, in another place, would have needed a, a more soothing wind because, um, because there's Dagoda in Poland and it was that all of the practices were hidden underground and so the people probably needed a little more comfort. That's not to say that the practices were hidden all over, all over the world underground, but I believe these wind spirits come out at, at these times in history when things are so disorganized and so disruptive that we are readily open and available to hear their messages. And do I think that I was special that I got to hear their messages and write them down in the book? Absolutely not. I think that I was listening one particular day and I thought I was writing a book for my coaching clients. I thought I was writing this book called, you know, work. I thought, wow, wind is a great metaphor. I had no idea that wind was spirit in almost every single religion. Holy Spirit's a wind, Ruach is a wind, Om is the sound of the wind. All of these wind sounds, and I'm talking about wind because I happen to have written a book called Winds of Spirit, and hopefully you'll come and get a copy, and you'll, you'll because you'll, even if you never listen again to anything about this wind, you're never gonna look at wind again after this conversation. 
That's what I'll tell you. But we're talking about how to integrate nature-based traditions into your practices. And I'm telling you wind is one way, but there's several. One of the things is, is that nature is finally, oh, okay. I was just talking about that. But nature and science have connected. We used to, I used to think that it was spiritual and science that connected. And many years ago, I met a physicist who said, nature and science meets. And now that I understand that we are nature, that we know that nature and science meets because they're one in the same. We wouldn't have science if we didn't have nature. We wouldn't be inquisitive trying to figure it out as we go. And so, but nature-based traditions, on the other hand, remember, we went inside, we got separated from them, and everything we got separated from, whether, um, whether it was your education, your family, or whatever, you got separated from, you spend your whole life trying to come back to it. So science and nature are coming around because we're at a critical point where we need to. I, I, and I'm not, I'm not political because I think there's way too much work for me to do to be political. Like the extent of my politics is I run the, um, I'm the president of my HOA board because I think a lot of the work that we need to do these days is to go back to our communities. If you think your community is because you can connect with the people in Spain tonight, that's not where you're needed. I was needed this summer to put my uh, put a little beach jam together and to make sure that our beach road is clean and because that's where the people need me. Now, this guy comes knocking on my door recently and he said, Renee, my bill was wrong. And if we, if we were to sit down and have a conversation, you know, about politics, we might have been this far apart. But when we come to a conversation about the beach road or the beach bill, we have something in common. So my whole talk, my whole agenda is finding what is similar between us. And since we have a good starting place that we're all nature, we, we, we're no different than the, the birds, the bees, the trees. You know, they just know that they're connected and we forgot. It's just that simple. And so when I first started giving this talk about seven, eight years ago, I'd go to, I, I started working in an addiction treatment center about 10 years ago, and I was writing the book, Winds of Spirit. They were very generous in letting me write my book when, when I was working there, but they weren't so generous about me speaking about my book. He'd say, Renee, that's not evidence-based. And I was saying, well, I think, don't you think we should get some evidence? And so here now you are sitting 10 years later and all of the things that we were talking about back then are becoming commonplace. Now, I have some opinions about how commonplace some of these nature-based traditions are coming and I hope that they don't get as like, you know, the op opioids, all of a sudden it was like something that they brought in that, you know, could reduce pain, but now we're, we're going into the psychedelics and all of that, which are plant, based medicines, which mean they need plant-based teachers. And so I'm so thrilled that there's so many of you here who are starting to hear the message that nature is the wake-up call. 
Nature is calling us. How many people of you already know that message or how many of you are, you know, Renee, you're a little bit far out. I'm not quite sure I'm gonna stay the whole time, but let's, good. So there are some nature, so, but imagine this. So it was Renee, you can't bring this, I, I ran the alumni program. Meanwhile, alumni are dropping dead every week and I'm getting heartbroken, but I can't bring my nature-based traditions into the treatment center because it wasn't evidence-based. And so one time we had an employee die over the weekend. She wasn't sick. We come back on Monday and her desk is empty. And people are like frozen. They couldn't, they didn't, they didn't know what to do. And you know, being a ceremonialist like I am, I said, well, let's have a wind whistling ceremony in the courtyard. And at this point, I didn't really care what the, the CEO thought. He was on his way out. And, it's true. So, so the whispers throughout the treatment centers, Renee's gonna do a ceremony, Renee's gonna do a ceremony. So I get out my wind whistle. It's like ceremony is everything. It's not like you don't have to big, set up a big old fat altar. You could light a candle in your office and it's ceremony. But I'm in the middle of the courtyard in, in this treatment center. It's a very good treatment center. All of a sudden, 75 to 100 of the employees all left their offices from their five different buildings and everybody was in the courtyard with me because nobody knew what to do with their grief. We we're just gonna, what, move her, move her pens after a week? And, and so there's the CEO standing, <laughs> standing up in the doorway looking that people were ready. Maybe it wasn't evidence-based, but people were ready for the message. So I blew the wind whistle and a lot of the patients had come too because they didn't know what to do. She was like a client care person. They all come up to me afterwards and said, wow, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then, you know, then we could move the pens. Then we could shift the desks around. But people were frozen in their grief. And so you're working with addicts. Who has more grief than an addict? I mean, trust me, we all started using because of the grief we were trying to cover up from the disconnection from all of this all the way around. And, and so we are the evidence base. We are the evidence. If you have been here, um, and Alice said, you know, she found her solace in nature. I found my solace in nature. I was just, I, was, uh, I owned a restaurant. My father had a massive stroke and I was, I was devastated. And so I used, what did I do? I used more cocaine and I drank more and I got more and more, I don't know how I ran that restaurant, but I got more and more separated from myself because I didn't know what to do with the pain. I hated this man. And then he goes and, and, then he goes and he's gonna die. And like, any of you been in that situation where somebody you really didn't like dies unexpectedly? And it's like the pain is still there, the suffering is still there, the grief is still there. And so what do we do? We use. So when I stopped using was when it really got crazy. I stopped using and I ended up in a lockdown ward because, because they asked me, well, do you wanna to go to the lockdown ward where there's psychiatrists or do you wanna to go to Karen where you can get a 12-step model? And they're like, I wanna know what the hell is wrong with me. Send me to the lockdown ward. And luckily, until I got there, then all of a sudden the door slams shut and I'm standing there and I'm like, 
oh my word, what did I just sign up for? But I was pretty desperate. And I luckily had this doctor who knew he wasn't gonna get anywhere with me. He used to take me outside, it was in Queens, we'd go outside in the neighborhood and we'd take a walk. And when we were talking, I started, when we were walking, I started to talk. I get back up to Syracuse where I was still running this restaurant and somebody invited me to a fire walk in nature. And I went and all of a sudden I learned in this fire walk that you could walk on hot coals. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, th there's a whole ceremony and it builds up and you walk on the hot coals and then you know that what you've been taught about pain isn't real. That there's, that you can walk on hot coals so that this must be some kind of thing. And so I, at that point I started to take this journey to alternative treatments. I went to the Ayurvedic doctor, I, you know, I got off the lithium and the Zoloft within a, a minute, you know, within a couple of months. And, cause you couldn't run a restaurant and take lithium. My 14 hour day turned into a 16 hour day. And it was like, this, if this is what normal people feel like, I don't want it. And now, now I'm not saying that that's the path for everyone, but this was the hard path that I took and it's taken 35 years. But time speeded up, you can get it done a whole lot faster because I'm gonna tell you that if you start to take your clients and in, you start to take your patients into nature or have indirect nature experiences for them or make it part of your treatment planning, it won't take them 35 years because we already did the hard work. Oh, I was gonna play the wind whistle for you so if you really were gonna run out the door, you could. So I'm gonna blow the wind whistle so you can hear this, um, this is the biggest self-soothing tool because using your breath and understanding that you come into this life with your first wind breath and you leave this life with your last wind breath is a really profound understanding. And so when you blow the wind whistle, you bring yourself home to your body. I discovered that when I was working with a bipolar woman who, when she would get really outside of herself and because she was very rarely home in her body, um, that the wind whistle would bring her back into her body. So I'll just play it now and then we're gonna do an exercise later on with it and just so you can hear it. How's that for bringing a little nature inside? All right. I brought a few to sell to later when I'm doing the book signing, but I'm not, you can get them on my store. I, I don't know if you, you know, like I said, I'm the marketer and spirit said, take off that marketing hat. You need to help somebody. It's been a dichotomy. It's not been the easiest thing. So we're gonna just, now we get into the heady part of this. We brought in the ceremony. We're in ceremony. All right, that was it. Uh, there's longer ceremonies. This is just our talk ceremony. So what is health, mental health and recovery? Uh, how we got here? I kind of started in there so it won't be so long. The nature-based practices, 
how you can implement them, and you're going to help with that. And then I, I brought um, I brought a few worksheets too, like that you could take home. I'm debating, like for some of you, I'll just email it to you afterwards. Monica has a sign-up sheet over there. It'd probably be easier than carrying it and losing it. Um, and then we're going to do a little shamanic practice or a wind practice at the end to show you how quick you can transform and how you can use this quick and easy thing that you can use with clients that they are going to love. And you can do it anywhere, anytime. So, and I would love your opinion. So mental health is this idea of that there's a, a wellness to it. There's a, that when you can, to me, in, in my worldview, okay, and I, I live in a cyclical worldview. I, I've moved from the calendar into a cycle. And so in, in my idea of mental health, you're able to acknowledge your ideas and you're able to create new ideas, new thinking, new ways of being. You don't escape your emotions. You learn what emotional is and you learn how to navigate from your own um, emotional well-being and growth. And it doesn't mean we don't slip back there. The other day I was leaving to come on this trip and like I, somebody asked me to do something and I had a little tantrum. Today I can look and say, wow, I wonder what that was for. Oh, well I'm feeling like I'm not going to get to the plane on time. And it's like all, you know, that fake stuff. But but in this work, you can start to identify whether you're in a mind experience, an emotional experience. There's a physical experience, and, and this is in the West of my work, is that you, you um, know that's going on in your physical body. Endings, cycles. You know, even grief can be an ending cycle, but it can also be a mental cycle, an emotional cycle. It doesn't always live in the same part of your um, compass. North is your spiritual. And to me, to, what defines good mental health is that you're available to help other people. When I was doing, I went to this 12-step, it was kind of like a really strong book study. It was, it was really a, a rough practice. And she stood up in front of the room and said, I'm here to help you so you can be of service to other people. This is me in the back of the room at this hospital thinking, I just want her to get better so I can be okay. And it was like, I didn't get the part that I needed to be okay so that I could be of service so that I could hold enough space that somebody else might become okay. And so I did these steps and I had this list of 150 resentments that I plowed through and then I you know, made amends. And then I was able to be okay and be more present. So long-term recovery, talks about going through all of these cycles over and over and over again. Like that whole first year of becoming recovered was like to do everything once, the first time, from sex to eating to birthdays to holidays to you know death and all of that. It didn't mean I was emotionally well equipped to do it all. It just meant that it was the first cycle of recovery. So if we get into this idea of a nature-based system, you understand that it's a cycle. And for those of you who have been in treatment long enough, you start to realize that 
Um, because I was the alumni coordinator when I first got in, I'm seeing people now who are 10 years sober. And let me tell you, they don't look the same, they don't think the same, they don't act the same. You know, they don't process things the same unless, you know, they didn't do any healing. But it's a really nice thing to watch a 10-year cycle of somebody else's recovery program. So know to that we, part of this nature-based idea is that we have to be understanding that we're part of nature cycle. I live up in the Pacific Northwest and I built a house and I've been planting trees. Now the first year, you think, is that tree even gonna make it? The second year, you start to see, okay, it has a few leaves on it. And by the third year, it really starts to bloom. So if we look at our life in terms of where we are in our own individual cycles, you start to think, oh, that's, that's, that's what a long-term recovery is, is getting many cycles of nature under your belt. And it, it will look different as you go. The mental health is a little bit of a trickier challenge that we're seeing right now is because uh, it's, you can quit drinking. Certain disorders like eating, you can't stop eating. You know, if you, if you, some of the, some of the, the, the mental health issues, yeah, like, so I haven't needed lithium and I haven't needed Zoloft in 35 years, but I have had to go back to the Ayurvedic doctor two or three times during this 35 year cycle of mine and say, hey, I'm really going down. I'm really going deep. And, you know, but we do go down and we do go deep because like a windstorm, nature can come and level out our lives and we don't know why. We don't know why the tree just fell over. You know, and, but we have to find a way of navigating through these storms. And, and so that's what these practices are. Now I have a wind walk. If I'm feeling really grumpy and that I'm gonna, you know, tell the cat, you know, go in the other room, slam the door. I go take a walk in nature. And you know, last week I was having one of those really stressful days at work. I went and took a walk and here I'm walking down the road and this eagle comes flying down in front of me. And it was like, literally, it thought there was something in the road. And it came down right in front of me and I thought like, wow, that's really cool. It got my attention because that wasn't the only gift I just got. I walk the corner, go down towards the beach road. An owl comes flying up right in front of me and sits in the tree. And we had this experience for 15 minutes. The owl didn't move. I didn't know exactly what the owl was trying to tell me, but I stood there and I had that experience with the owl. Who, who's had that recently? That's awe. That's what we get. You know, we, I don't know what you're chasing, what your dreams are, but to me that was like plenty. But it wasn't just what I got. So the next day, I, I have wind whistles and I have a friend who's also a marketer and she said, you know, Renee, you're gonna need a new wind whistle every year for the people who already bought the old one. So we call it the Nilchi. She said, you're gonna need a new Nilchi. She doesn't know anything about the wind or Nilchi or anything like that, but it's just kind of this little standing joke. And so I go home, I open the box from Mexico and what's in there? 
my new owl whistle. Um, they're like, yes. They're, and, and so I play it, and I get chills all up and down my spine, you know, my arms. Like, um, they're like, this, this is what we're missing. This is what we're disconnected from, is our awe. And, and why we're disconnected is because we went inside 16,500 years ago, put up walls and wind eyes, and started to look at spirit through a window. And then when we couldn't get the information we needed through this window, then we called on our priests and our ministers. And I'm not, trust me, I love priests and ministers because somebody needs to do that job. But we forgot that we could go right out and talk to the owl. And so here we are 16,000 years later, 17,000 years later, and we're seeing mass anxiety, mass depression, mass suicide. It's not like it's, it's, it's in a plague type of situation, and it's just how it is. So there's this word called Anthropocene. And I've been, it's been kind of my guiding word for a few years until I just found this new word, symbiocene. So Anthropocene says that we're at a time that our decisions could be the end of us, that we could cause extinction from our own, from our own behaviors. But symbiocene, which is my new word, that it's not my word, but it's the new word, is that there is a path back where we remember, remember that we're nature and that we can start to reconnect and understand that I'm just as much as that owl's habitat is that owl is as much as mine. And when we're in that place of connection, there is no disconnection and there is no need to fill the hole with addiction with, uh, you know, and, and that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of addicts out there who don't need to remember this again. Because remember, if I've watched somebody over 10 years heal, they might just, it might take them three cycles. But we, we can do that. And how we got here was when we were hunter-gatherers, we were part of we were part of the sustainability of our own our own area. Then we became farmers and we decided that we needed to own the land. Like we could really own the land, but that became that started that land ownership made us think that we had power over. I own, you don't own, this is mine, that's not mine. And that therein started our, our great descent inward to our self-centeredness, our disconnection. And so then we go to, um, you know, then we go to the technological ages where all of a sudden we, not only now we could have power over, but we could turn people into machines. We were people doing. It, that was the hardest thing I had to ever come over that I was, I was okay when I wasn't doing. Who else has had that one? We became people who were doers and doing and trying to keep ourselves useful. Instead of in our nature cycle, you come in, you need nourishment and you need protection and then you grow and you're a contributor and then you become wise counsel. 
and then, then you go back into the earth and become part of the system. But in ours, like you, you, what happened was all of a sudden you, you, reached your, you reached your ability to produce how many tool spigots you needed and then you became a useless member of society and so we stopped listening to our elders. We stopped valuing them. We stick them away in homes and, you know, and we don't value how wise they are. Now, if I was going to get political and I want to be, there's a certain point where we might get a little too old to be making certain kinds of decisions and hopefully our wise elders know when it is time to step down from those positions. <laughs> so when I'm up here at 85 still yakking on, you can say Renee, enough. But there's still a lot of nature to cover in that ground. And, and so, you know, the thing is, 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 who is the wise counsel in your community? You know, who is that wise counsel for you? So, signs of despair. You all know them. I told you when I was working in addiction treatment that there was one death coming across my desk every single week. And I was like, this was, I was new in. And I was there like, well, we're a good treatment center. Why is there one death coming across my desk? I had to, at that moment, turn my attention to the people who were showing up for the alumni groups and for the people who were showing up. Because if I got caught up in the despair of those who weren't making it at that moment, it was just too overwhelming and I was just going to go down the tubes too. You know, I, I had a sister who was a heroin addict. Again, with that, whole, with that whole same thing about turning us into machinery, I judged her. It wasn't until her last three years of her life when she was in a nursing home because she had had a stroke because the heroin addicts went back to cocaine because they knew that the fentanyl was in the heroin and they didn't want to die. She had a massive stroke and ended up in a nursing home. And I had to realize that I was no better than she. We took two different paths. And they were just equally as hard, but they were equally as different. And I made time to get to know my sister and who she was in that journey she took because she, you know, like, in, and that was one of my problems with AA is that, like, people used to have to come crawling back in because they went out like that. It was something else. Nine out of 10 people go back out. So are, are this 1% or this 3% any better than those people who are out there using? Absolutely not. Nature doesn't judge an acorn different than it judges the leaf. So part of this nature-based tradition is understanding that we are all here struggling with the strong winds of change that are going on at this time, whether it's Anthropocene or Symbiocene, We've all agreed to be here. We've all agreed to do this together, but how are we going to do it? And I think understanding that, that in nature we're all equal, that it's a really good start. So, uh, you, you know, there, I mean, you know all of these signs of despair. I mean, I don't have to shout them out. Uh, I bet how many people in this room have a, an addicted family member? There's not one of you who, who can skip out on that. How many people in this room have had somebody who took their lives with suicide? 
You know, look around. This is, this is what's going on right now in our world because, because we're so disconnected, we have to really, we have to, this pain is too great for some of us. And it doesn't make us wrong. It means that we just have gotten so far disconnected from ourselves that we need a path back. And so I'm encouraging you to add some of these nature-based traditions that we're, we're going to look at. So there's so many possible triggers for despair out there. Weather events. You're living your life and a hurricane or a tornado comes through, takes out your house. You don't have a house. On the island where I live, we have a homeless problem like everywhere else. There's a guy who's living in a motorcycle sidecar. He's got the door open, and he's airing it out in the day, and he's, it rains a lot there, so I thought, well, that's at least practical. You're not getting wet. And we've been building housing for, um, for people who are, it's a very, I live on an island where people are really socially concerned about each other. And that's why I say it's time to go back to your communities and look, are you socially concerned about anyone but your own well-being? Um, disease, you know, when I was in Peru 20 years ago, there was this um, Alto Masayoc, which is a high-level um, Paco, they call them. And he lived up at 16,000 feet. And one time he comes down to the village and what the teacher said, how did you know I was coming? And he told me, well, the river told me. He walked two days from his village because the river had told him. When's the last time you went to the store because the river told you? <laughs> Yesterday, though, didn't I said, we've got to go to Target. And she's there like, no, I don't want to go to Starbucks there. And I'm there like, oh, yeah, we do. And sure enough, I ran into a, a woman who used to work for me right out in front of Target. And it was like, well, the, the wind told me that you were here. But he said back then, I had filmed him doing a cocoa leaf reading, he said back then that the winds of change were coming, that there would, the, there would be a virus that would come on the wind that would change the way people connected. I believe that he was foretelling this COVID virus that shut us down, made us reconsider our values, and then brought us back Oh, and I just got little chills. The wind just blew, but that the um, that it was this idea that there would be something so dramatic that would start to wake people up to find out what was more of a priority for them. How many people changed careers or changed the way they did their work when they were at home with their families and their connections and their community, and they really got to see what it was like when there was no food in the grocery store. We had to wake up. We've had to wake up, and these are like our little global wake-up calls that we're having all over. This, this disruption, disruption, disruption. But the disruption's going to continue. So how do you navigate through this? And sailors navigate from their own wheelhouses. Their own wheelhouses. That means, so you need to navigate from your own wheelhouse, which means you need to take care of yourself in order to be of use to other people. Overpopulation, food shortages, uh, lost dreams of jobs, security, all of that. There's a lot of reasons to be depressed. But there's a lot of hope when you turn it around and look at it 
from the standpoint of that we chose to be here and we can use these nature ideas to wake ourselves up. We can remember we are nature and, and we can wake up. Because if you think about it, if you live, say, 85, out of four and a half billion years, what is that? It's a blip. And so, you know, the idea of, of thinking about the next few generations and what we're leaving is really important because I see kids coming up who are really more political. They just really aren't buying what we're selling. They're not. Like yesterday, Monica was talking to her daughter and said, you wouldn't believe the woman at Target or wherever we were, double, triple bagged the, the bottled water. You know, and first of all, we probably shouldn't have been buying any single bottles of water, but <laughs> it, it was better than buying the 24 pack we were going to buy. And we see all the water that's here plenty being circulated. So, you know, fill up those bottles. So, but they're not buying it. They're not using the water bottles. You know, so if we think, oh, I'm using less, mm, I don't know how we're doing. But so the reason that, that, that I got to this conversation was there was an eco-psychologist, Larry Robinson, and there's a lot more research coming around. When I started doing research for this talk, there was a lot more available than when I was presenting on uh, Larry Robinson the last time. But human machines are breaking down because they're humans. Nature breaks down. We're breaking down because we're not taking care of ourselves. So the last time I was in Peru was about seven years ago. And this wasn't the picture that I saw, but this was the scene that I saw. That I stopped going to Peru because I felt like I was trampling all over somebody else's sacred... Um, their sacred sanctity. You know, it was like I thought I was going there for my spiritual experience when really I was just contributing. Now Machu Picchu has like some ungodly amount of four billion, four million people going there a year. And trust me, if you go take a walk down at the beach or down in nature here or the botanical gardens, you're going to have just as much of a spiritual experience as if you tromp all the way down to Peru. Like I had that owl. And, you know, last night somebody asked me at dinner, well, is a plastic plant in my living room having this, you know, experience? And I'm there like, maybe visually, but it's not breathing. You're not connecting to it. So I'd have to say today that I'd say that's probably a no. But not only have we lost our connection to nature, but we're making sure that everyone else around the world loses theirs too. And I don't necessarily, and I'm not encouraging you not to ever travel again, but I'm encouraging you to open your eyes that when you travel, you have to ask yourself, what's my reason? Is it part, is, it, is, there, is there a real reason for this? Or is there, am I part of the problem? And now they're proving that the time we're spending in nature is, is a problem. When we, so many times when I start to tell people of my new, this new talk that I'm working on, um, they say, oh, remember when we were kids? Remember, close your eyes a second. 
and think back to when you were quizzed. All of you, close your eyes. What were you doing before lunch? Who went in 10 minutes, ate a quick lunch, and ran back outside till dark? You know, then your parents had to lasso you in, and hey, it's dark. Kids are spending less than 10 minutes a day in nature. Virtual reality does not count as a, re a nature experience if you're not out there in the earth. Part of this is somebody said to me last night, well, I'm an urban girl. You know, I, I'm, I, I like the pavement and I go, yeah, but remember, you can have the pavement and breathe the wind. You can have the pavement and call to the wind. Even in New York City, you can look up, there's a, a blue sky and there's trees and there's all of these things. You, it just because you're an uh, urban person doesn't mean you can have, you can put, um, in one of my apprenticeship programs, I had people actually put flowers on their windowsills because they were stuck in bed. But it wasn't plastic flowers, it was real flowers. Because remember, if you're in nature, you want to tend to this flower like it's your life. And that plastic just doesn't work for that. So one of the things is urban globalization, our decreased time in nature. Let's talk about faith. So about 75 years ago, we said, hey, this church thing's not working. You know, it was pretty manufactured. We were out in nature. We moved inside. We had to look at through our wind eyes, and all of a sudden, we had to find these places to congregate to get the messages from the wind because we weren't outside getting them anymore. And so we, we started to listen to these. And not, not everyone went gently. In Peru, if you go into the, um, the cathedrals, there's pictures of uh, the, 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 the Pacos chewing cocoa leaves. And one of my friends sent me a picture from Peru because there's this practice that I teach called wind knots, where you can actually store the, the power in the wind knots. And she sent me a picture. They never lost their belief. They just thought this is more God. And there's a picture of like the Divine Mother making her wind knots. So they didn't even, the, the missionaries didn't even realize that these people were taking their traditions, adding them to their traditions like they were more God. That's not what happened to us. We got less and less and less God as we went. And so that's why the 12 steps is actually any spiritual practice, has the same components. But so we, we you know, we had in the hunter and gatherers, they were more shamanic. They were more you know, they, were, they watched the deer, they watched the earth. And, and the word shaman, it has, a, it has a bad rap right now. You know, what was shaman, what wasn't shaman. What, I'm using it as people who understood that they could go to nature, have an alternate situation happen and, and change through, through different ways. But I don't wanna, it's not a debate about the word for me. And the word practical shaman came out because I thought it was a really groovy name and I got it before everyone else, so I had it first. And I had to, I realized practical and shaman are the same word. Redundant. Shamans were cared, they cared about their village, they cared about their longevity, they cared about their food sources. 
So in some essences, we can all become practical earth tenders. So when, like we go back to this, the, the land thing, then we had power over. So some people were higher than other people. Then we, um, we went into this that there was one God. If there's only one God, it makes all the other ones false. So in the winds of spirit, there's lots of wind spirit gods. So is, it, is there a lot of, is there a God everywhere? Because we're nature. Or is there just one supreme God? I'd like to believe that there's God sitting in this room in each and every one of you. And that's, that's where I know that there's a God in that tree and a God in that rock and there's, you know, that, that everything has its own spirit. But that was kind of taken away. We stopped believing that. But then all of a sudden we didn't believe what they were saying about that anymore, that there's one, one right way to do it. And, and so then we left the churches in droves. Left them in droves. But what we left behind was the message, the spirit, the community. The, the Churches weren't bad. It was the control that they tried to, getting together in community like I do at the beach potluck is a good thing. Getting together at the beach potluck and telling everyone they need to believe just like I do doesn't work. That's what we said no to wasn't the beach potluck. It was just like, you've got to come to the beach potluck and you need to bring tuna casserole and you need to share it this way and you need to share it this way on Thursday. That was what we said no to. But what happened was we became a really disconnected society because when we left, we threw it all out. We picked up the drain, threw it all out, and we had nothing left. That's why there's been so much more addiction, so much more disconnection, so much more all of these other things because we threw the baby out with the bathwater. And so we need to find that spirit that works for us. For me, it was that owl last week. What is it, some of it for you in nature? Is it a tree that you love? Something, right? And I learned this quite by accident. I had, I was in um, New Mexico, and this is, this is the, the supernatural part. I was in New Mexico in Taos. I thought I wanted to go have a spiritual experience, just like going to Peru. I'm going to have a spiritual experience. Well, I had one. An apparition showed up in my living room and told me I didn't belong there and shooed me west. And it was one of those situations. Has anyone had that kind of a thing in your life? where something so big and so powerful is coming to your, that you just couldn't ignore. Could be, you could be all different ways. Well, this one was like, this one had a, a, a bowl with smudge in it and it was showing me, I got fired the next day and within three weeks I was in Palm Springs. I got to Palm Springs and I'm there like, I'm not going there, it's only rich people. Green, trees, I'm like, no, 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 no. So about a week later I'm driving down the street and all of a sudden, this energy from the mountain fills me up like nothing I had ever experienced before. As much as I saw getting over, but it was like, and you know, to this day, I, I, I keep trying to leave the mountain 
and the mountain puts me on like an elastic band and you can go, but you've got to come back. I mean, last year I thought, hey, the mountain said I can go. I put my condo up for sale. Very, I came back up to my island and it was like, this is what this is going to feel like if you don't have that. And I thought like, well, that was, where'd that voice come from? We've all had those voices, right? And then, and then sure enough, the deal fell through that afternoon. And so I still have my place in the desert and I need to, I need to understand that. Do you know where your mountain is? Does everyone know where their mountain is? What's holding you to the earth? Close your eyes and think about what is your favorite spot where you live that keeps you tethered, that keeps you sacred, that keeps you safe. Can you find one? Who can't find one? They're like, I'm not letting her pick on me. <laughs> so everyone has one, right? So like I can go right to that mountain and I know that I'm anchored right from here. So that's something you could teach in your treatment centers is teach people how to anchor themselves. Because how many people, how many addicts, how many people with behavioral health issues have left their body? For years I would leave my body when things got uncomfortable. But like another trick you can use is just jumping up and down on the earth 10 times. That one gets you right back in your body really quickly. So they're just like little things, but you know they're all earth-centered. Listen, when I found the wind, I thought it was a metaphor. I thought, oh, look at Sherlock Holmes said to Watson, hey, there's an east wind blowing. Or Mary Poppins blew in on the east wind with a big fat thud and landed over the fence, and then she left on a, I thought, this is really, I could really do this. Then all of a sudden I started to have a relationship with these nature beings and life really started to change. So the casualty of, of our um, alienation from nature is our addictive properties, whether it's food that we don't think we're going to get enough, whether you know, oh, I'm sitting over there, hello. Whether all of these things, is, it's, it's the result of our disconnection. A casualty of alienation is depression. If you know where your mountain is, you can go and sit on it and cry there and let it hold you. One of the exercises I once did with one of my teachers is we actually buried each other in the desert one night. Not all the way over our heads because we didn't have to go that far. Um, but it was like really an earthing experience to feel like, wow, I'm really part of this. Now, you don't want to do that with addicts because, you know what? I was working in a co-occurring treatment disorder unit, and I would take out my, draw, my rattle and the, the weekly alumni class, and it would send people packing. I could look around the room, and I could see that some of those people were so triggered by the rattle that I stopped using it in, in, at that point. It's... It's really, think about it. If you've been disconnected for 16,000 years, you might not remember the rhythm of the earth. It could be a slow cyclical process to start with going barefoot, to just do a little bit.
So eco-psychology, which has been around the longest, but I'm sure with all of the plant medicine we're coming out, we're going to have to see a lot more because you can't take the plant medicine out of nature. It's a real issue for me, especially a lot of my nature-loving friends. Is like, how are we going to integrate people into this afterwards? So eco-psychology is the integration between ecology and psychology. And it's a skillful application. Like I said, it wasn't evidence-based for me to be using my rattle in treatment, and I learned really quickly why. I could see the people who loved it right away and the drums and stuff like that, but it's something that we have to integrate slowly into our nature-based practices. And you could start with a picture of a nice ocean on the wall. Or you could do like that psychiatrist did for me in New York. He took me out in nature on walks. If you have a client who you can't connect with, take them outside. How many of you use outside in part of your practice? That's great. We had a, at, when I was at Michael's house, we had a really, really vivid outdoor program, and it was the first thing they cut when a bigger company bought us because it was expensive to take these adventures and take people out in nature and stuff like that. So I understand that there's a cost factor, but you can start to, you can start to have people walk from one building around a building back into your office. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be, you have to get everyone trained in outdoor activities. One of the eco-psychology studied our emotional bond with the earth. Like when you just closed your eyes and you could all find a place that you connect to, your favorite place in nature. Um, when I used to do a gratitude circle, one of the things that I would do is I would have people close their eyes and you gotta be cautious because some people have really bad experiences. So one of the things that, that I would always tell people to do is go to a sunset. Because anyone in the room have bad memories about a sunset? Uh, or an animal that you love? Because animals love us unconditionally. One time when I was really struggling and it used to be what's the use? Like, I'm out of here. This is like not where I wanna be. One night my cat, fetched bottle caps. Never before, never again. I throw the bottle cap, the cap brought it back. <laughs> and like, I, never, ever, twice. It was just that night when I thought like, you know, this world is just too hard, I don't really wanna be here. But I was so amused by the cat fetching the bottle caps, I stayed one minute longer. And sometimes that's all you need is that one minute longer to, to change. So. If you can give somebody hope for one more minute longer, then it's like a really important thing. So we need to get the standards of mental health to include time in nature. 10 minutes a day is not doing it for our kids. We got ADD, we have all autism, we have all of these things because we're getting further and further disconnected and because we believe we have power over but we need to go back outside and play. It's really simple. And again, I think I talked about it earlier, is that redefining sanity. Whereas I thought my sister was less than me because she was a heroin addict. No, it's a different sanity. It may not be the one that I want a path that I want to follow, but I am no better than the addict that's still using. 
And as long as I think that I am, I will never really be truly of service anywhere. So we're talking about ADD, where I believe we're having a nature deficit disorder. And I think that um, it stemmed from our religious incongruity, this idea of Anthropocene or Symbiocene. I mean, why would we want to pay attention when we think we live in a world that's time limited? But if you think about this time limited, you know, this redemption world, that was that one God world that you're going to get saved, you know? And I don't care what your religious things are because I'm not, this isn't a religious message. This is about nature. But when you believe that there's one God and one Savior, you're not going to find it in your tulip plant. Last week, one of the exercises I taught people was that it's fall. You go outside and you plant tulip bulbs. And you can still do this. And why? Because when they come up in the spring, you're going to be in an absolutely different place. And I learned that one day when I was just out of that um, mental hospital that I told you about. I was sitting on my porch, and I'm there like, God, it's really glum still. I was still, you know, I was still on the lithium. I was still on the Zoloft. I was still a year off of alcohol and two years off of alcohol, a year off of cocaine, and I was pretty depressed. Somehow, I must have heard a message to plant those tulip bulbs. And when they came up in the spring, it was like, wow, this is a cycle. There is hope. I, I, by that point, some of the Ayurvedic medicines had kicked in, and I, had a, I could feel a little bit different than I felt. Remember, it's incremental. I used to tell myself, you didn't get feeling this bad in one year. It took you 30 years to make that mess. So I figured by the time if I was 60, by, if I was feeling good, that I had worked through the cycles enough that I could start to look back. And now, it's like I'm, I live present probably about 95% of my day. Right here, present with you. Not thinking about the booth down there or the lunch or the book signing. Remember, there's a book signing afterwards. Um, <laughs> but that I, that I live really present. I could tell when I'm in a bad mood and go out and go meet the owl. So this word of, uh, that we've, this word of sology, I looked at, I listened to it this morning. I might not have just said that right. Is about missing something we don't even know we're missing that place that's home, that mountain that I had you close your eyes and call up. There's a longing for us that we need to really find, and we need to help our patients, our clients, our coworkers, our employees find that. I, as a leader, um, I have a team of about five or six people who work for me, and I hold that light for them. You know, like they're younger, they, they, like one person goes, well, that's my ADD, Renee. I said, well, I think we could work on that and you can do better. And how much time have you spent in nature this week? So it's not just your clients you're dealing with, it's your leaders. You've got a workforce that's suffering from all of these same disconnections. When's the last time you took a team outing out in nature? The nature biology will tell you, we know that breathing nature, we know that walking in nature works. It helps things with, it helps uh, reduce cancers. 
it helps um, the anxiety, the stress, and all of that, but it lowers blood pressure. When I went to the doctor this spring and she was like, well, Renee, your blood pressure's a little high. I'm there. Yeah, I think it was that COVID shot. You know, that's one of the, the side effects was the high blood pressure. I said, but I'll come back in a few months after I can take more wind walks. I said, I hurt my foot this spring and I haven't been able to walk enough. So let me come back and get tested after I try nature. So my appointment's in a couple weeks. I'll let you know how I did. Um, and I don't mean, you know, and it's just, it's about understanding that your own physical cycle. When, when my book came out, whoops, I was working so hard that that year I was exhausted. Part of my West cycle. I worked a lot from bed that year. I realized if I wanted to be a famous author who was going to be speaking on the stages, I needed to take better care of myself. Now, I had an ambition, and I knew that I needed to take better care of myself in order to do that. That's where change happens. I don't want to die. I want to take better care of myself. I want to be a famous author. I need to eat better. So I've cut out a lot. I still like ice cream, though. Just can't get rid of it. The ice cream is the, you know what I say? This is me. I don't drink. I don't smoke. You know, I don't do anything bad. But I need my ice cream. So I say, if you're going to eat ice cream, eat it with a big, fat smile on your face and see it as love going into your body and enjoy it. Because if you're beating yourself up while you're eating the ice cream, I'm bad, blah, 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 blah. It puts a couple extra pounds. When you eat it and then go take a wind walk, it's good for you. <laughs> I swear, it's really good for you. So let's talk about, uh, I'm trying to mix this up with a little comedy, a little routine here. But let's talk about, then there's always those who are like with their C's. Where are the facts, ma'am? So here's the different kinds of exposures that you can offer into your treatment plans. And that's what I have in my uh, workbook that I'm happy to send you if you give her your email or if you come down and do the book signing, I'll give you a printed copy of it. But there's different, um, there's different ways. So say you're in the inner city, there's no windows in your office. Change jobs. <laughs> Put a window. Get a picture of a window with nature in it. I mean, really, if you're in the closet, you know, you might ask for a different office. One time, when I started at that treatment center, I was in the closet. There was no windows. It was just me and the copier and all those desks coming across my desk every week. But, but really, I put what it, the first thing I did was I went into the storage unit and got pictures of nature to put up. So pictures of nature is the last thing. And last night I told you I was at dinner, somebody said, well, plastic plant work? No, go to Trader Joe's and buy a plant. <laughs> you know, because one of the first things that I learned to do when I was in recovery, and I was talking to somebody, and it's a really good thing, is can you keep this plant alive? You know, it was, it was really bad when I was out there and I couldn't feel like I could keep an animal, a cat alive, right? But can I keep a plant alive? So really, get some real plants in your office and see if you can keep them alive. So the other one is the incidental one, and that's what the, um, that was what the psychiatrist did with me, was when he took me outside, we'd start, we'd, start on the, we'd start on the treatment floor, we'd go out that locked door, we'd go down the elevator, and we'd go outside and take a walk. 
So you can do that in your own treatment centers. If you have people doing group in one building, move their group so that they have to go outside. Do a group outside. That's the third one is the intentional interactions. And that's the ones that you can um, really work with in terms of, like I said, we had that really sophisticated outdoor program. That was the first thing that they cut when the budget was cut. Who has an outdoor program? Who has horses? You know, uh, one of my friends is doing this horse rescue thing where she goes to the horse rescue every single Friday. And there's so many ways, there's so many, there's like wolf farms in, in LA, there's, there's places to have an outside interaction within, within minutes of where you treat people. Maybe it's a walk to the park. You know, there's just, we just need to go back there. So we want to um, bring nature inside. You can do that with a waterfall, the sound of nature. You know, now you've seen the wind whistle, right? Now, does that bring nature inside for you a little bit? OK. Um, gardening. One time I was involved with, the, you know, creating gardens in the elementary schools. There, we're at an island where there a lot of people do homeschooling, and they actually take their kids to the organic farms school a couple of days a week to learn how to farm. Because if, if you have any interest in your own food, learn how to grow some. Because if, the, if these winds are continuing to blow like this, and we've created a toxic environment, which we have, I'm not denying, I'm not putting color coding on what we have created out there. You need to know where your food sources are coming from. In my neighborhood, and you, I told you I'm the board, the HOA president, I know at least about 10 people that I can go to for eggs, for vegetables in their garden. Right now, I'm not doing so good in the vegetable department. I got some strawberries growing, I got some apples growing, I have um, blueberries are doing pretty good. And, I have beautiful flowers in my garden, which make me happy. And so then now what did I plant for the fall was the tulips, okay? So, so what I did here was um, I wanted you to think about some of your own indirect actions that you can do cheap and expensively. Does anyone want to call one out? Do you need the mic or you want to just call them out? So give other people some ideas. What? Fish tank, I love it. How do the clients like it? You can talk to the fish. What do you have? That's a window and television. So ask, I have a question. Do you open the window? Yeah. So see, even so something like using modern technology in order to develop that, I, th I like that one. Yes?
Okay. Oh, nature, I like that. Nature machines. Anyone else have some other ones? Yes? Bird feeders, that's a great one. I have, do you know those things? Those birds get expensive to feed. <laughs> I, the other day I, I went to um, Ace and I was really excited to get two bags for $22. And I'm thinking, all right, I got the cat that costs $2 a day, now I've got the birds that are costing. It's like service work, it's service work. I get the birds so the cat has something to eat? No. Um, <laughs> all right, that was a joke. Um, all right, well, this is kind of a joke. What do you have back there? A water fountain, that's a great one. Oh, wind chimes. What do you have? Crystals, yeah, because they're of the earth. Um, that was another one, um, that reminds me. I carry a black rock, black, I use black, jet black rocks, pulls energy out of your body. And so if you have a, a client that's really like ungrounded, you can give them a rock to hold. Note a caution. One time I was working with this couple that were not getting along so well, and I had them each holding a rock. Next thing you know, he flung his rock into the fireplace. She stormed off and it didn't quite go as well. So I suggest doing the rock with clients that aren't gonna be tossing them at you. So you might start with something a little lighter. Um, another thing that you can do if you have a really distraught client is uh, you can run their hands underwater and it will decharge, it will, it will be like, it has the same effect as going into a stream, it'll decharge them. Back there? Was someone else had another idea? Plants, yes. Yes. You know, it's a grounding thing and, and salt pulls energy now, the thing with a lot of this stuff is like, in theory, yes. But what, what happens is we, this is an area where we start to appropriate. Oh, that worked there. Well, you know, the thing is, is what works in your area? Like I heard this, this I was at the, the art class last week and this woman said, oh, it was someone's birthday. And what they did was they brought in a, 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 a heap of, earth, you know, mulch from the, and the kids played out in the dirt for an hour. And it had a dual purpose, they had a great time and then they planted it. So that was of the earth from where we were. So Himalayan sea salt might be great if you're in the Himalayas and you have a relationship to it, but just to stick it into, you know, your office like it means something, it doesn't. Like I go pick sage, you know, now you see sage everywhere. That's because I sat in an anipi for 10 years and learned how to pick the sage, where the sage grew, and how to use it. So I have, I have a relationship with that medicine. So I'd rather you find something in your own yard, like the tulips, I have a relationship with them, I planted them. Like, so to me, it makes way more sense to see what you have a relationship with in your own neighborhood. So that. Yeah, that one you have to be really tricky with. 
but I'll put it here. So people are really sen sensitive. Um, I, I was a chef, and I'm very sensitive to smell. One time, um, I walked into this, this place in, um, somewhere in the UK, and it had a smell that took me back to the most horrific memory I ever had, and I immediately went to the bathroom and threw up everything that I had eaten that day. That's what scent does to me. So I'm very cautious about scents, like, like a perfume or something could take you back to an abuser or an abusive situation. So scents is one that you really need to be really, really careful about, personally, for me. Painted rocks, that, that works. Um, the only thing that we learned at Michael's house was that we had hundreds and hundreds of rocks, and then how do you, how do you, you know, how do you treat with them? Like the monks in, in Tibet, they make those impermeable sand sculptures, which are also nice. One time I went into a room at another treatment center and they let people paint on the wall. I had to cleanse the energy. It was so horrific to me to walk into that space where everyone had dumped their grief. So any of those things work, but you have to just keep them clear, like run those rocks underwater. You, you remember, people are coming to you with their most vulnerable pain. All right. We can talk at my book signing, but I have one little, I have an exercise for you. I want you to see how this works. So you're still with me for this little exercise? Okay. We're going to use my wind whistle for this. I'm not going to rattle because I don't want you to run out of here in trauma. Um, let's see, was there anything before I do this? We talked about that. Oh, I don't have time for that. But the, um, the spiritual experience is a spiritual experience, whether it's the 12 steps of recovery or any other spiritual practice. So if you don't have people who buy into the spiritual practice of recovery, 12 steps, give them one that they can buy into. Give them nature, give them something else, because it's the same thing, acceptance, surrender, action, and service. So how you want to build that, I have plenty of ideas, and I'd love to come talk if you, you know, want me to come talk or work, work with you on adding this into your treatments. Um, so this, this is a 12-step nature-based our, our kids were like looking for it in their raids and stuff like that. They were looking for ceremony. Those concerts, they're looking for, they are looking, they are seeking. Now the plant medicine, they are seeking. So why don't we give them something that they're seeking? Nature. Okay, blah, blah. All right, we're going to do a wind exercise. And then if you have questions. So the wind exercise is really simple. And this one you don't even need a wind whistle for, but they're really great. They're all handcrafted. Um, I say that uh, I have intentionally crafted um, tools. And this one has a, a legacy because the, when, I, when I went to publish the Wind book, I met a, a sound scientist in Mexico. And he introduced me to a whistle maker who was making ancient replications of artifacts. And he, the, day that he started send, send, the day that he started sending me the wind whistles to the United States, they uncovered um, Ecatel's temple in Mexico City under a supermarket, so the wind started to move again. And I believe that, 
sound scientist then died, he died during COVID, his brother then started to make him. This is the latest. Now this is the exciting part. The son of the, the, of the uncle and the father has started to make these wind whistles and they're raw, they're like earthy, and they're really magical. So this book, Winds of Spirit, has a lot of great nature-based tools in it for you. But this exercise, I don't think it's in this, because I came up with it. The wind teaches me more the more people who hear this message. This exercise is, so say you've got a reoccurring thought that's bothering you. Some, everyone identify something that's really nagging at them right now. Got it? So close your eyes and imagine yourself, we're standing out in a nice field out in nature and write that concern on the wall, on the sky with your finger, just broad sweeps. And then imagine, keep your eyes closed. Now you see, you can almost visualize this with um, all of these sweeping words you just put on the sky, and there's a lot of them in this room. So we're going to call to Madame Feng Popo, the Chinese wind goddess, and she's going to come down. She rides on this tiger, and she's going to come down with her big wind sack. She's going to collect up all of these words, and she's going to tie them into that sack, and we're going to take it out transmute them with love and life beyond the furthest galaxy. All right, so everyone's written their word. Keep writing if you need to. And Madam Feng Popo, come here and help us. And with all of your intentions, let's see her taking that bag, lifting it up all the way to the heavens. It's very heavy. This room's got a lot on their mind. and we're transmuting it with love and light. Now scan your body. Do you feel a little lighter? You let something go? Shake it out. Thank you.